What I can make happen for you is some insight to yesterday's second duel of the racing triple crown contested down in Baltimore because my next guest was there. He covers all the big races, all the big stories for the daily racing forum. Columnist Dave Grenning joins me here on CBS Sports Radio. How are you, David? Doing well, Jody. Doing well. Good. Appreciate you coming on board. Uh, Before we get to uh, what transpired uh, leading up to the Kentucky Derby, the week that was Bob Baffert under the microscope uh, and the actual uh, race itself, yesterday in Baltimore, um, Pimlico is a track that's seen its better days, and they've been talking about moving the race out of there and what are they going to do to ever upgrade that place. They haven't done a lot. It certainly has tradition and history on its side, but the track itself, maybe not so much. But it wasn't overrun with 100,000 people, as it usually is on Preakness Day. Limited crowd again. What was this Preakness night like compared to others you've been at? Uh, it was a little strange. Now, I wasn't at last year's, which was probably very strange when there was zero people there. But right. this year, there was the, they allowed 10,000 fans and I don't think that counted like friends of politicians and friends of management and sponsors because it did seem like there were more than 10,000 people there. But it definitely wasn't the 112 to 15 that they normally have. And you could get around pretty easily. Uh, you could get to the concession stand if you needed to. The infield, they had some sort of DJ going on there that I uh, must be getting old, Jody, because it was starting. It hadn't annoyed me before in past years. It was annoying <laughs> me yesterday. Um, but there was there was there was some people there, but it was very manageable getting around, and it, you know it, it it didn't have the vibe. It was kind of quiet. It was a beautiful day. Like if it, if this was a normal period of time, uh, they might have had a record crowd because it was as nice a day as you could ask for in uh, in Charm City yesterday. And one of the reasons why it is important to note is. Horses just aren't prepared to run in front of 100,000 people. They don't do that on a day-in, day-out basis. Those that come from the Derby would have done it two weeks hence, but those who had never done that before could be severely affected by the size of the crowd. That was not in play at all yesterday. I don't know if there were any horses that I would have even been thought could have been affected if it was a regular year, but it had no effect whatsoever because it was a, a good-sized crowd, but a tame crowd compared to what you usually get in Baltimore on the second Sunday in May. Correct. The only thing that's different than, say, when they run in the Bluegrass or the Wood Memorial or the Florida Derby is there's a lot more pomp uh, associated with the, the saddling. Like they'll, Horses will come to the inside saddling stalls, and they'll take them out to the infield, and they'll, you know, they'll I'll be on the grass and wander around there for a little bit, or some may forego the in. in door paddock and go right to the grass and that's what that they don't normally do that and some of these horses that may have never even seen the grass before like well why am i coming out here am i is it snack time what about what am i doing on the on the turf course here we're supposed to run on the dirt but that's that that's the only difference but that's every year and i don't think it had any effect on this running of the preakness all right before we get to the race itself the week was like never before a Kentucky Derby winner, or not like uh, so in 50 years, a Kentucky Derby winner challenged as to whether they're going to be able to retain that crowd because of a positive test after the race. Uh, Bob Baffert having to deal with it and answer all the questions and attempt to give explanations and or make excuses and then basically having to admit that uh, his staff may have made an issue and a mistake by using an ointment that may have passed along the banned substance. Um, give me your thoughts on 
Baffert when the story first broke, how he handled it ongoing, how he eventually handled it and got his horses into the Preakness. Uh, how do you think that Camp Baffert did what they ended up doing this week leading up to the race? Yeah, it didn't work out too well. I understood what he was trying to do a week ago today, get out in front of it uh, and say, hey, I've been informed of this positive test and this is where we are with this. But instead of saying this is where we are with this, this is like this never happened. I didn't. Nobody in my team did this. Uh, we're going to fight this to the hilt because none of it is true. He never got the substance. Went on a media tour that included uh, Fox News and every, CBS News and everything that he could, any place under the sun that would have him on. Uh, between Sunday and Monday, and then Tuesday he came out and said, oh, never mind all that stuff. We gave him this ointment, and it had it in there, and that's how he got it. And it was just like, really? You, you, you spent 48 hours just deny, 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 and then you're like, oh, we goofed up. This is what happened. And uh, I just thought from there on it was just, it was just a, a bad deal. And then he went into hibernation. Um, he didn't come to Baltimore. He went back to California. He didn't, you know, every, everybody who tried to get a hold of him got the same, I'm in lockdown mode. And then he gave some six-paragraph statement to NBC yesterday that was kind of saying, you know, it's not about me, it's not about me. Yeah, Bob, it's about you. This whole, this whole week was about you. And let me ask you about him as portrayed by others. A couple of big names in the industry, D. Wayne Lucas being one of them, came out and said, listen, uh, even if this second test comes back positive, it's not something that would have increased his performance that much and or given him a tremendous unfair advantage. Uh, you, you've crowned a triple crown champion, a Kentucky Derby champion. You shouldn't be taking it away from him. Some people truly took his back. What is your stance on that? I, I believe that the substance itself is not something that is going to enhance your performance and make you do something that you are incapable of doing. But that said, it is you know, the rules are the rules, and you're not, you're not allowed to have any of that sub, substance in your system on race day. Um, he had just had a similar situation happen in the Kentucky Oaks six months ago, eight months prior at the same track. Uh, the big difference there is the Philly came in third, didn't win. Um, and, I don't, I don't view this, view this as horse doping. You know, like I hate when I see that sub, that that written that way. It wasn't horse doping. He wasn't given some a magic elixir that you make in a, in a kettle pot somewhere and, and you know sip him a Mickey somewhere. Uh, it's medication that is commonly used by many many horsemen, and it just you know it, it must have been given at a time that was too close to the race and and, and within the horse's system. You and I are on the exact same page. I I don't know that it's the reason why he won the Kentucky Derby. It doesn't matter. If you break the rules, you break the rules, the penalties in the, uh, are in place, and if it means he gets stripped, he deserves to be stripped. So on that, and, we agree. And the, one, and the one thing about it, Jody, that makes him look bad in, in the end game and all this is that last November at the Breeders' Cup, unsolicited, it came after some positive tests that had been during the year, he came out and, said, and gave a statement and said, I'm going to do better, I'm going to clean up, I'm going to tighten the ship, and these things, you know, I'm sort of embarrassed by these things. And, um, you know, we're, it's not going to happen anymore because I'm going to do things that are going to, you know, we're going to, everyone's going to be trained better in my, in my staff and we're going to really tighten the ship. No, no more of this. And then there's more of this. And this was something that if you had tightened the ship, just to tighten one screw on the ship, this wouldn't have happened. And the ship is not, the ship is leaking. It's not tight. The only thing that I will say that I actually do feel bad for Baffert on, it's not much. Uh, Churchill or the state of Kentucky act, 
acted quickly and swiftly uh, and harshly. I don't know that he deserved to have all of his horses pulled because of this test until you get the second test back, which now there are reports fluctuating anywhere from a week to two months it's going to take for that second test to come back. That I don't even begin to understand. If you could explain that to me, I'd appreciate it. But I thought Kentucky was too harsh to him. I thought they had to wait till after they got the second positive before they took sanctions against Baffert. I agree with you. It was unfair to a ban him from the entry box and be unfair, a poorly used word. He was not suspended when you're suspended to me. Anyway, you lose your license. You lose access to the stalls. He has horses on the grounds there. Charlton, who is a very good horse of his that's pointing, I believe to the Met mile on Belmont. They worked 59 seconds yesterday at Churchill down. So, okay. Churchill was basically saying you messed with a wrong race, pal. This is our race. Don't mess with it. Uh, you can't run here. Even though, I don't even know how many more horses he was actually planning to run between now and when the meet ends on June 26th. But I, I agree with you. They, they acted, you know, they could have made that deal behind. And, they, and then they put the industry, including Pimlico, in a bad spot. Like, okay, well, they spend them. Uh, now Nets balls in your court now, Pimlico. And, and most places, even when there's a horse without a positive test, um, that horse is permitted to run. Uh, you know, he'll be tested again or she'll be tested again. But they're usually allowed to run. Uh, and, and then it turned into a circus this week. Well, he's got to pass three more tests, and we'll tell you Friday at 5 if we can, if he can run or not. And I, I think that Baltimore slash Pimlico and Baffert himself handled it as best they can. He threw up his hands and said, test me. Go ahead, test me. Test me as much as you need to. I'm telling you we're going to test positive. Just don't overreact like Kentucky did. Let me put my horses in the race. They did. They tested him. He passed. His horses just didn't run well enough, uh, both of which I thought had big-time chances to win the race. I was a more of a concert tour fan than I was a Medina Spirit fan. I didn't think he was going to be able to bottom out the field the way he did in the Kentucky Derby. Um, but uh, concert tour was a complete non-factor in the race, and Medina Spirit didn't get the job done. Um, so uh, no, no harm, no foul there on the Baffert front. But more power to uh, Rombauer, uh, who your partner in crime married to DRF, uh, Jay Pridman noted last night, great nugget, the first horse in over 130 years to win his first dirt race in P- at Pimlico in the Preakness because Ron Bauer had only won uh, two previous races, one on grass, one on synthetics. I had not even realized that. If I had, I might not have backed Ron Bauer the way that I did. I thought the race could set up for him unbelievably great ride by Flavian Pratt. Uh, circumstances just worked out perfect for, Lee, for him, or are we underrating this horse all year? Uh, no, I think circumstances worked out. I, I was of the belief that the pace would be contested. Uh, I thought I, I thought Midnight Bourbon, if he broke well, unlike in the Kentucky Derby, would, would be the one to uh, you know, be in the mix there. I, you know, I didn't know exactly if it was going to be Concert Tour and Midnight Bourbon on Concert Tour with maybe them trying a little something different with Medina Spirit. Or if it was going to be Medina, you know, as the day went on, I pretty much assumed that it was going to be Medina Spirit on the front end because it looked like speed was, uh, and the inside was where you wanted to be. And Johnny was going to get there before on Medina Spirit before Mike Smith was ever going to see it on concert tour. And Mike Smith never saw it on concert tour. He was awful. Um, and then I was looking for a closer. I came upon uh, Keep Me in Mind, who was, uh, you know, a uh, non-threatening fourth. But Rumbauer was, uh, was solid. And the fact that he had not run or not won on dirt, probably made me shy away from the fact that, uh, you know, uh, picking him on top because I was looking for a closer and I just settled on keep me in mind. But Rumbauer got a bit, you know, he was kept 
closer than maybe uh, he typically has been uh, by uh, by Flavia Pratt, and he moved. You know, he anytime Flavia needed him to get into a position, he was there. He got into third around the turn, and you knew the first two were going to – it was, was going to be hard to see the first two uh, continuing on, and nobody else from the back was running. So he got – he was quarter pole. He's right there. It's like – to me, at the quarter pole, it was like – you know, it's not that if he's going to win, it's by how far is he going to win. And he won by a significant amount. Three and a half lengths is a pretty good win in the Preakness. Uh, do you think Rombauer's breeding and what he's accomplished this year after uh, he did what he did here in the Preakness portends well for him to come to New York and potentially take down two-thirds of the Triple Crown? I, I do, because I think he's still a relatively fresh horse. That was his third start. Um, you know, he had started in February in the El Camino Real. Had a, had uh, that was off of like a 99-day layoff. Then he had like six weeks to the Bluegrass, um, and or seven weeks exactly to the Bluegrass, and then six weeks to yesterday. So his races have been well spaced. Now he's going to have to come back in three if he does run. Well, he should. He is going to run the Belmont. Um, I think uh, he should be. He should be okay to do that. Uh, and and, the, and it's just a matter of, you know, the Belmont, you're usually going to get a bit of a slower pace, which means he's going to be maybe even closer. And it's just a matter of whether uh, being that close and getting into that rhythm, he'll still be able to, you know, kick like he did. Uh, the trainer, Michael McCarthy, who is a disciple of Todd Pletcher, uh, a three-time Belmont Stakes winning trainer in his own right, um, you know, is a, is a very capable and perhaps underrated trainer. Uh, I think he'll, you know, I think he'll have his horse ready to run his race. Now, this Belmont could come up a very, you know, I know that's not going to be triple crown, triple crown at stake, uh, but the Belmont could come up a very interesting and very big field. Uh, that's what was going to be my next question. First, wanted to note that I thought Michael McCarthy was great yesterday. A couple of interviews that I saw him do afterwards got all choked up and uh, gave props to his predecessors, uh, Mr. Pletcher and the like. I just thought he came off as a class hack and he is a hell of a trainer. First ever triple crown race, go out and win it. That's pretty good from a training standpoint. All right, uh, you said the Belmont field could be large, could be interesting. How large is large? Well, I have 15. They won't all run. I want to preface this. I have 15 names on my list of possibles slash probables. Uh, five of them are from the Todd Fletcher bar, and I don't expect him to run five. I have Midnight Bourbon on there. I'm not sure he'll come back. One of the more interesting uh, sub- t- subjects here is what Godolphin Racing is going to do. They have Essential Quality, who was fourth, the champion from last year, fourth in the Derby. But they also brought over a horse who's already here, has been here for three weeks, a horse by the name of uh, Rebels Romance, who won the UAE Derby in March 27th and has been appointed right. for the Belmont, you know, since then. And are they, you know, are you going to take a horse, bring him all the way from Europe to and get him here a month early and prepare him for the Belmont only to have maybe a better horse in your stablemate slash champion essential quality running the race? So that's one interesting angle to the to the Belmont, and the B most interesting angle is whether Todd Pletcher and Shadwell stable if they run the filly Malathot, who is undefeated, coming off a victory in the Kentucky Oaks. It was 14 years ago that Todd Pletcher, with a different ownership group, won the Belmont with the filly Rags to Riches, beating Curlin, who became a two-time horse of the year. It was one of the more epic uh, Belmonts that we've seen in modern time, and you know, it's if she runs. She spices up the race, uh, you know, tenfold. I was uh, broadcasting live from the track that day. It was about oh, 
200 yards, not even uh, 50 yards, excuse me, um, from the uh, finish line when Rex Richards won his uh, derby for, uh, won the Belmont for Ty Pleasure uh, coming from the female side. Um, that's, I'm, I'd be, love to see a huge field. One name you didn't throw out and you said you had 15 was one of those you included Mandaloon because we wondered how uh, Brad Cox was going to use his good three-year-olds. He ended up putting two into the Kentucky Derby. Sure enough, they ran second and fourth, which could become first and third. You mentioned essential quality. Mandaloon was a horse that I liked uh, going into the Derby and might end up having bragging rights. Not that it's going to do anything for my wallet that he ends up winning the race. Um, but uh, a horse I've always liked and is bred to go forever. I thought that uh, after he decided to script a preakness, it was a given that he was going to the Belmont, but I don't know if that's the case. What have you heard on Mandaloon? We talked to Brad Cox yesterday, and he's, you know, he wasn't really committing either one to the race, but I would, was getting the feeling that if, if he was going to run one, it would be essential quality. I didn't get the feeling that he's looking to run Mandaloon a mile and a half. I think with races like the Haskell and the Travers and then maybe the Breeders' Cup at the end of the year, I'm not so sure he wants to run the horse uh, a mile and a half uh, at this point in his career. I, I agree with you. I think he could handle it. Uh, you know, I think he's bred to do it, but I didn't get the sense that he, it's either him or Judmont Farms, the owner, may not want to do that. So I don't have him on my list at this point. Fair enough. Uh, when do you think we'll start to get commitments? It's going to go uh, certainly into next week and maybe even further than that. Yeah, I think you'll hear some stuff by the middle to end of this week. Um, Malathot had uh, her first work back last Thursday. It was solid work. I think they wanted to see, in, in talking to Rick Nichols, who's the general, who's the racing manager for Shadwell, you know, one of the things he did note was that you know, Medina, with Medina Star losing and you know almost certain not to run the Belmont, at least that frees up John Velasquez, who is Malathot's regular rider. So they, they know that they don't have to go searching for a rider uh, for that. So I think that's a plus in her column uh, to potentially run. Uh, I think you'll see the more serious workouts for the race for the horses that skipped the Preakness and ran in the Derby or the Oaks uh, this weekend, you know, toward the end of this week. And then I think you'll start to see some some more commitments. Uh, horses that ran in both legs that were potential to run in all three. I think there's only two of those. And again, Midnight Bourbon being one, he went back to Churchill. Keep me in mind being the other. He's going back to Churchill tomorrow. I think decisions on those horses might take a little bit longer. Last thing, you mentioned Johnny B. You had the chance to go for the triple crown. It could have been snatched from him later on. Didn't happen with Medina Spirit coming up short, but he'll get a shot in the Belmont, uh, maybe with this Pletch Philly. Um, I was very impressed with the uh, trip that uh, Flavian Pratt gave the winner yesterday, Ron Bauer, in the Derby. I know he's been the best jock out on the West Coast for some time now. I know he's had some success in Triple Crown races. He won a uh, Kentucky Derby by disqualification two years ago. Uh, don't get me started on that. We could spend 20 minutes on it. But um, <laughs> he is as as good as they have on the West Coast. Is he just going to stay out there? Or does he at some point want to say, and I know I'm an East uh, East Coast bias, unquestioned, raising my hand, guilty as charged. I know how great Del Mar is, but Saratoga is the best meet each and every single year. It's the best of the best. And if you want to be the best, you got to compete against the best. Is there any chance Flavian Pratt decides to move his tact to upstate New York this summer? I, I don't think so, Jody. I think the, the, the um, colony in New York right now is pretty stacked with the Ortiz brothers at Rosario and Castellano, Johnny V., 
um, you know, I, I just think it's pretty loaded. You, you add some of the Kentucky guys who might come, uh, maybe a Florent Giroux or someone like that. Or, uh, I think right now he can rule the roost out in California. I think he needs, you know, if he can win some big races out there and come east when needed uh, and, and, and then gradually work his way into the barns where, you know, you need to be in, which would be like Todd and Chad Brown and Bill Mott, Christoph Clement. And I just don't think he's, I think it's going to be hard to do right now until maybe somebody, you know, retires, um, which I don't see anything soon happening on that front. But I think if, if he stays in California, he's, you know, he's the man out there. And I think, you know, there's worse places to be the man than in Southern California. Yeah, exactly right. I'm, I'm, I'm asking him to go from uh, superstar to uber superstar level. He's pretty good uh, where he's staying uh, right now. Uh, again, bias on my part. I'd like to see him compete with the great jockey colony they have in New York. Uh, Dave, great stuff. Appreciate you coming on board with us. I will talk to you three weeks hence when we get the third leg in our back pocket after the Belmont. Thanks for coming on tonight. Thanks, Jody.